What is up, everybody? One and all, welcome to the anime podcast of some sort. I'm David Majors. I'm also DJM. I do all of the podcasts over at DeltaJulietMike.com. And of course, you know my co-host, artist, cosplayer, comic <laughs> artist, sketch, sketcher, Instagram cosplayer, extraordinaire, Tumblr king, just all around <laughs> fine chap, Jack Noir. What's up, Jack? Oh, uh, man, it's so good to be. This is this has been a really important episode for many reasons, and I just had to be here. Uh, you also, I've got another name to add to the huge list, but this one's not a super long uh, nickname or anything like that. But the, the Instagrammers, they have come to calling me Wheels, and I just think that's adorable. Wheels. So like with that out of the way... Uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, and it's all juicy and crisp and fresh out of the oven and a lot of more contradictory adjectives to be said about it. But I want to jump right in. And David, how was Yomacon? How was Yomacon, Jackson? Well, I got to say, uh, Yomacon was pretty damn good. Uh, Yomacon, of course, is the big yearly annual convention that happens in downtown Detroit at the Renaissance Center and Cobalt Hall, uh, right here in my hometown of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, It happens right around Halloween or the first weekend of November, and all sorts of anime enthusiasts and gamers from Michigan and everywhere else all over the place really converge right here downtown in my 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 hometown the town i was born in the town that made djm who he be and i gotta tell you jack the entire endeavor was pretty darn good my my dear true friend Catherine came back from japan she is a michigan native but uh she graduated from michigan state and she's living in japan working in translation and community management for a game company over there but she does come back periodically and she does not miss yomacon so we had a good time she was my my con buddy for a good chunk of it but given that Catherine, in her own right is pretty darn popular she also had her own things going on as did i I saw some old friends i met some new friends i thankfully avoided the con drama that i was afraid of and along with that, I took it upon myself, Jack, and consider this a, a pro tip from, from old DJM. If you're friends with your local tournament organizer, make sure you buy them a drink at the convention. Because mm-hmm. I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Jay Gary, a.k.a. Mr. You Suck of the Yacht and Sailing Enthusiasts. Uh, he oh. was the tournament organizer for Yomacon, and he is Metro Detroit's overall FGC tournament organizer guy. And he really held it down for the whole weekend. So I felt obligated as the fighting game filthy casual that I am to buy the tournament organizer a drink. And... Friday evening when you're having drinks with the tournament organizer and telling wacky fighting game stories 
and hearing about the Michigan fighting game community and the, the shenanigans you weren't even privy to, that's a great Friday night at an anime con. So that, that started off pretty strong. And, and as I always say, I only drink at conventions, but this was not just a convention, but this was the convention that made me who I am today. This is my hometown convention. I, I got myself pretty well sauced with the Michigan fighting game community, and I'm, I'm quite pleased about that. Uh, Saturday uh, also was pretty good. Once again, me and Catherine were hanging about the convention. It was a bit rainy, but not terribly cold in downtown Detroit. So making our way from the Renaissance Center to Kobo was not the worst thing in the world. But along with that, Jack... Uh, me and another friend of mine who uh, was on the Yomacon staff, who was cosplaying as Pearl from Steven Universe, uh, after she got off her shift. Oh yes, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I oh love man, her, I, I've got. I love her. Though. I've got a dumb thing to say <laughs> in dot dot dotting situations, but yes. Uh, either way, great, great uh, cosplay choice. Uh, also, uh, after she was done with her shift on, on the convention staff, uh, her and I walked around a bit and we did something that you never do at an anime convention. We sat in one of the video rooms and watched some anime. And Jack. <gasps> you did. Oh, oh, Jackson. It gets even better. Oh, no. Uh, my friend Heather and I. She, like me, is also a Gundam fan and is also a fan of obscure sci-fi anime that nobody else knows but the two of us. It's kind of how we've bonded. When we went into the video room... Gundam? Yes, Jack. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Gundam. when we sat down in the video room, the show that was playing was Gundam Wing. Oh, <laughs> And in that moment, we just kind of looked at each other, and it was one of those special anime convention moments that only happens at anime conventions. Now, she had just gotten off of her shift working, uh, looking at badges and what have you, so she was already a little tired and wanted to sit down. I was into my first drink of that evening, so I probably needed to sit down. So we decided to sit down and watch the anime that defined both of our early anime viewing, Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. Even better, Jackson, it was the subversion. And I oh. had never I never watched Gundam Wing without the famous Ocean Group dub before. And what I found out, Jack? <laughs> The subtitled version and the translated dub version are almost one to one. I was wow. really impressed because awesome. as I was reading the subtitles for the first few episodes of the show, I realized, wow, holy crap, Gundam Wing is really burned into my psyche because I was hearing the English dialogue in my head as the subtitles were coming on the screen. And it was like, wow, this is verbatim to the dub. This is a one-to-one -one translation. I can't imagine uh, 
anything that I've seen where it's been similar to that, unless you have uh, like a Funimation license dub where they keep like the catchphrases of things kind of like still translated in the sub, that kind of thing. But uh, that you got to remember really this unusual Jack. and I, it you got to remember like this. I had a good time. Gundam Wing first aired on Toonami in 2000. This was it, long little, before dub, long before dubbing got to the quality level of what it is today. And I remember even way back then realizing that the dub for Gundam Wing was light years ahead of anything else at the time. And for the first time that we were watching the subtitled version, it was it was really something to realize. Wow, they stayed incredibly faithful to the subtitled version in from 2000. Gundam Wing originally came out in 1995, and it was dubbed and released in the U.S. in 2000, and it was uncanny how on point the translation and the voice acting were. So, I guess... I can say that I would probably need to recuse myself for the sake of nostalgia, but as it turns out, watching a few episodes of Gundam Wing with a friend, it holds up. It does hold up. And because I've always been the hipster that I am, during the the big Dragon Ball Z boom of the late 90s and early 2000s, I never missed an opportunity to tell everyone that, you know, Gundam Wing is number one in the ratings for its time slot for all ages. You know that, right? Because <laughs> it was. I, I just want everyone to know that. As good as Dragon Ball Z was doing, Gundam Wing was right there, too. We all have our and- favorites. And and Gundam Wing was my favorite because I did like Dragon Ball, but Gundam Wing it it touched my soul, and and it touched Heather's soul as well. And while she was ready to head up to her hotel room and and go to bed, because like like I said, she was on the convention staff, she was checking badges, she was walking around doing all that stuff. I opted to continue get doing the thing. And I finally had the opportunity, Jack, to change into a convention outfit that I'd been wanting to use for about two years. Lay it on me. It consisted of a vinyl leather goth cyberpunk black button-down shirt and a prized possession of mine, an LED glow-in-the-dark necktie. That sounds incredible. And what do you call this? Do you call this particular outfit by anything special? I call this Saturday Night Anime Convention. Like, that is, that is what it is in my head. It is it's Saturday night. I'm at an anime con. I've already had a few drinks. This is what I'm going to wear. It's Saturday and- night. Catherine, to her credit, uh, she was also cosplaying as Catherine from the game Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) And we took the best of selfies that I tweeted out, only saying, what am I doing? Okay, yes, I I remember that. 
I have a I have a very crucial question. First of all, uh, which Catherine was she cosplaying? I just for just for those at home, and then what what sort of uh, Catherine is her name? Is she C Catherine or is she K Catherine? My friend Catherine is C Catherine, and she was cosplaying as the blonde Catherine. Yes, that is C Catherine. For those of you at home, it looks really cool, and uh, that's really that's really funny. <laughs> And also oh, some dude yeah, from Belgium you? showed up. <laughs> there was a dude from Belgium that was there. What's so, what's up, anime lovers? <laughs> he, he uh, Oh, God, speaking of, of that phrase, uh, yes, yeah. as I had mentioned, everyone, yes, during the convention, I did, in fact, cosplay as the Steve Buscemi, how do you do, fellow kids meme. Yes, I did. Thank God. And I have another one for you if you ever feel up to it. <laughs> Go ahead, Jackson. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the MTV show Clone High. Highly underrated show. Please take a look I at it. I am aware of uh, that. I am. For those of you at home, please watch it. It's really great. Uh, I believe you should uh, you should do the the, the party uh, principal at the party from the very first episode. What's up, fellow students? Raise the roof. Raise it. <laughs> Uh, I missed the phrase "raise the <laughs> Complete roof." Complete the trifecta. I've, I've I missed uh, "raise the roof." I, I've I've been trying to get like uh, themed weekends for co- conventions now. Like I'm currently working on a uh, a, a modern game characters uh, emulating classic cartoons for obvious reasons uh, for an entire weekend's worth. So uh, you can maybe build a whole weekend around being uh, being older folk trying to trying to relate to them kids and honestly i think it could work i think it works so yes please uh, continue i'm i'm debating how much i want to keep doing this, <laughs> the, this I don't, depending on how much self-loathing kicks in <laughs> that that is true you gotta when it comes to cosplay you gotta be comfortable above everything else and that includes emotional comfort <laughs> But you know what? Given Yomacon and attending two concerts uh, the week after in the span of about three days, uh, seeing Dream Theater and then seeing Poppy uh, the day after, uh, coming out of all of that, the convention, fighting off a cold from when I was in Indiana and Chicago, seeing two concerts, one, in fact, in a very small kind of punk rock club with a bunch of kids and jumping around and screaming. I came out of all of this feeling all right. I, I didn't Thank wake goodness. up with, with anything sore, no bad knees, no bad neck. My cold's gone. I feel pretty good, Jackson. I, I feel okay. So I, I came out of all of this thinking, well, I guess... I guess old man DJM still has some gas in the tank, and uh, I feel pretty good. It was a pretty damn good convention. I gotta say, it was I'm pretty really damn good. I'm very happy to hear that. It's it's always good to go to the one for the year. It's it's always good. Uh, and I haven't quite found the the con- the convention for myself as uh, it used to be Fanime, and now that's kind of like getting understaffed and all that kind of stuff. But Yomacon sounds like every time we've talked about it on the podcast or just in general, it seems to be holding up. So I am extremely happy 
that you had Jack, a good what time. can I get you to do to, to fly out to Detroit next November? What can I get? What can I get you to do that? <laughs> You'll have to pay for the plane. <laughs> at this rate okay um you know but that might change because i am i'm getting stuff i'm getting stuff done i'm getting uh i'm getting things getting money trying to get it together so we'll see how that goes but uh that's for that's for another discussion but yolicon sounds lit you've got just about a year yeah from now i could scrounge not not quite 365 days but if if you can come to Yomacon, Jack, you will be my personal guest of honor. I'm I'm already working on a panel. Maybe I'll work on doing something really big, like having a live podcast. Who knows? Well, if you can pull it off, Jack, well, I'll I'll do it up bigger than ever. Apos would be really cool to do live. I think that would be a lot of fun. Oh man, well, that's definitely something to really aim for i think and if not next year then you know i'm st- i'm still gonna be alive hopefully in 2019 and uh you know i think that's something to strive for because yomacon oh sounds 2019 as the kids say lit by the time it's 2019, 2019 i i will not be able to say that word i won't be allowed by federal law <laughs> because because i'll be well past fellow kids Oh man! Oh my goodness! <laughs> Twenty nineteen. I'll be thirty five, Jack. Oh my god! Oh no! Well, well it's okay. Sp- breathe. It's okay. Breathe. Uh, speaking of things that that are from You're- a different time and place, uh, l- let's let's okay. jump into this story about Cuphead. Let's jump into this story. Oh, yeah. So you found but- this story, David. So I will I will lead it to you to introduce it because i found it through your comments on twitter all right so there was this this piece on cuphead from unwinnable.com uh columnist yusef cole wrote a piece about cuphead and the racist specter of fleischer animation now for everyone out there that has heard or seen or played Cuphead, you know that the game itself is a run-and-gun Mega Man-esque shooter-type game that is very boss-battle-heavy. But the calling card of the game is the animation aesthetic that is very reminiscent of the 1930s, 1940s style of animation that was made famous by MGM Studios, kind of the Tex Avery, Ari Fleischer animation style of the time. However, this piece from Yusuf Cole brought up a couple of points that I will admit I found rather telling because when I saw the game and when I've seen streams of it and let's plays of it, this kind of was in the back of my mind as well. I don't think it took away from the game, but it was a passing thought. It was the idea uh, that Yusuf Cole wrote that the the company Studio MDHR did this aesthetic for Cuphead without consideration of how culturally insensitive and stereotypical and how character heavy a lot of the animation was during this era specifically towards black people and african americans as a black person myself when i saw the game did this enter my mind 
Yes, for a passing thought. For a split second, yes, it did. So I understood the overall premise of the article. And what what I did appreciate about the piece was that Cole himself never downplayed the game itself, but he did make a point to Studio MDHR that while they chose not to acknowledge parts of this history of animation and what made this a little bit of a problem to look at now, he did not say anything about the quality of the game being taken away. But he did make a note that the company did, I'm not going to say whitewash, that that's not the right word. They really kind of downplayed the significance that this would have for people that play the game or review the game that might not be white. And I understand his point of view, and to me, it did have a passing thought that, Yes, there were a lot of really bad racist stereotypes back then, but it did not take away from the game at all. So in a way, I think that the dev team made the right call, but I understand where Yusuf Cole is coming from. Now, Jack, you are my personal authority on Cuphead. Yes. You got this piece from me. You read it. Uh, what was your takeaway from it? Uh, so I do have a lot to say, but I, I, you know, I've got my own disclaimer of I'm white, so that there is that. And I can't say what makes anyone uncomfortable. I can't say what makes Cole uncomfortable. I can't say if any uh, anybody out there who maybe had the same kind of thoughts were uncomfortable. I can't say that it's wrong that you felt that way. Uh and that being said, before I get into any kind of meat of uh, any kind of arguments, I have a little something. I usually don't read stuff verbatim on the, the podcast unless it's from an article, but I'm just going to start this out with this. The cartoons you are about to see are products of the, their time. They depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. While the following does not represent the Warner Brothers' view of today's society, these cartoons are being presented as they were originally created, because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. Uh, that was from a disclaimer that Warner Brothers would place over a certain television block uh, of their more historical cartoons. And uh, I... I, I thought that it was important to bring it up because they mentioned that it is wrong and has always been wrong to depict these kinds of things. Now, David, you said that you had a passing thought of it. So uh, my question was, whenever you saw footage of the game, were you uncomfortable? Not at all. Not, you were never not, uncomfortable? Not in the least. No, okay. definitely not. Because I... The reading... I yes. never considered that the people behind this game would do something offensive. I, I never considered that the people behind this game would do something that would be so 
off color for the lack of a yes. better term. So I was never uncomfortable with any of it. Were you uncomfortable after reading the article? No, no, I wasn't. Because it, while I definitely okay. understand Yusef Cole's point of view, and I will say that there is a part of me that agrees that the dev team has not done a very good job with the understanding and the knowledge that WB did with their disclaimer and and pointing out that this was of a certain time. I have not been. I have not felt uncomfortable by any of this. My only, my only quibble would be that Studio MDHR has not done the best job in acknowledging that this might be something that they need to address. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a good that's a good point. I think. And I guess uh, before I get into some some uh, thoughts that I had about things. First of all, people, please read the article. If you can, don't read the Kotaku article because Kotaku article is ridiculous, I think. Kotaku is... Uh, I'm going to put the the piece from... I will put the piece uh, directly from Yusef Cole and unwinnable.com in the show notes. Read that one. Yes, because Kotaku is the real unwinnable situation because they're taking a spin of it's racist to not be racist. And they directly contradict themselves in the article. Uh, They do link Cole's article in the bottom of their piece, but they're being absolutely ridiculous and blowing everything out of proportion. Cole's article, I think, is really well-researched, but also... Uh, I think that there is a logic there that is just not present. I think that, like I said, I think that the the discomfort that he feels and that anybody could feel about this sort of situation is completely, uh, I hate using the word valid, but, you know, I can't tell him that it's not okay to be uncomfortable. If he feels uncomfortable about the way that it makes him feel, then that is his prerogative. But I would say, uh, I I would say that there were a few uh, stumbles, I think, in how MDHR handled this, but not to the degree that uh, they made a mistake. I think that here's what they've done. I think they've combined Warner Brothers' uh, acknowledgement that they didn't want to – They've taken Warner Brothers and Disney's approach, and the Disney approach, as everybody knows, is to ignore that uh, they ever did something like that. However, MDHR Song never. Of the South. Yeah, and uh, everybody knows that uh, clip of uh, Donald Duck shouting "Heil Hitler" because when you try and hide something, the internet will find it, no matter what. Um, now there are some there are some characteristics that I think Cole neglects, and I did a. A shit ton of research. Some of it was was um, a review for me, but uh, I would just like to say that there is reading about this. If you do want to get further into it, I'm just going to uh, skim over some other stuff. But there is a book called Birth of an Industry. Uh, gosh, I need the full cover here. Uh, it's Birth of an Industry, Blackface Minstrelsy, and the Rise of American Animation. By Nicholas Sammons, S A M M O N D. It's available on Kindle 
on Amazon if that is something that interests you about the racial implications of the beginning of animation, which was pioneered by Maxwell Fleischer. Now, uh, saying that there was outright, uh, you know, ignoring this, uh, the aesthetic, I think, uh, well, well, let me say not, I think, um, MDHR had acknowledged in interviews and to their credit, I don't think if I was doing the same aesthetic, I would have been able to keep my cool about talking about it, but they've obviously, uh, they anticipated the question and said, we don't care about the history. We don't, uh, we don't want to, uh, do anything except for just use the aesthetic and people are saying that that has lost an aspect of that uh for the entirety of the content in the game and really doesn't because it is just a style that they have chosen to draw in the whitewashing i have noticed that there are only white humans in the the game that is something that i have noticed my my suggestion or my 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 thought about that is do you really want them when they're taking so much they they have videos up of what kind of uh, visuals they drew from and how how many different kinds of uh, composites of of the animation have gone into various parts of the design how the characters look and what what goes in their eyes their face all that kind of thing do you really would you really wanted them to have said okay we're going to make a black character now or we're going to make a, uh, you know, a whatever kind of minority. And then say, now we have, uh, for black, we have Miss Licorice from the Cookie Carnival to come from. We have uh, Song of the South to pull from. Dude, I don't think anybody wants and that. And the, the I, I wouldn't have wanted that, that and I, I think that they're... The example that I posed to, to Mr. Cole over Twitter was Mammy Two-Shoes from Tom and yes. Jerry. Yes. And I said, D- do you really want them to have something like that in this game? And yes. as a black person myself, the answer is hell no, I don't. No. So, so I think to the point, admitting- I think that MDHR made a wise decision in omitting that. And uh, to his what credit, I Cole mentioned that... that uh, Yes. What I think that some people might be upset about is the idea that MDHR really had no frame of reference or no knowledge of this at all. And that's how it was coming off early. They they absolutely have. They've acknowledged it since then. I would encourage people to check out, um, you know, more in-depth interviews from the of the interview rather than what Kotaku is putting at you or uh, just hearing it through hearsay. We're kind of a of a culture, especially on Twitter, of just reading headlines because, well, not anymore, but tweets used to be so short. So it was easy to just grab information and make assumptions about it. So I just say, once again, read the articles, do the damn research, um, and all that being said, what isn't there is not as telling as here here I'm going to get into some really some really heavy territory. There is stuff in every single cartoon that has come out since then to now that still has traces of uh of racial uh shorthand 
that they used for these minstrel type characters. This isn't something that was completely erased. White gloves with the stitches on them seen for Mickey Mouse and otherwise, that's part of it. The fact that Mickey Mouse has a black body, thusly Cuphead does too. They were also heavily based off of the design of Bimbo from Fleischer Studios. And he was very much, if you've ever seen a, uh, a short with him in it, they're all, they're public domain now, so they're available on YouTube. He is 100% that kind of a character where he's just kind of homeless and doing his thing. And if you read him as uh, that kind of a minstrel caricature, he is absolutely not flattering whatsoever to black people. So sad face, sad day to say it's still there. Nothing is 100% erased from that. It's just become this kind of shorthand for cartoon character rather than what it started as back when they were first making these cartoons as this kind of minstrel animated clown act. And like I said, Birth of an Industry by Salmond is a very interesting read if you want to look more into it. Uh, and if this is really that much of a... Oh, wait, I actually meant to uh, bring up another point. Uh, Cole mentions uh, the very obvious uh, inspiration. The devs have even... Uh, come forward and stated that, yes, uh, the character of King Dice, who is probably my favorite character uh, design in the game, is based off of the incredible uh, jazz singer Cab Calloway. And uh, what's most noticeable about how he resembles Cab Calloway is that he does not look like Cab Calloway except for the facial features. The skin color is missing because he is a white dice. He is a die. And uh, I think that's the big point of contention for Cole because he mentions it and describes it pretty uh, uh, fairly in detail. And Cab Calloway was no stranger from Fleischer Studios. He was rotoscoped a lot for uh, characters for Fleischer Studios, all non-white characters, uh, because if they would animate him himself, there tended to be some unflattering caricature there. And once again, I say the point of reference, if they had decided to visually uh, try and capture Cab Calloway uh, ad verbatim, first of all, they wouldn't have had an original character design. They would have just had Cab Calloway in the game. If you know Cab Calloway, he's there. You can see it in his uh, his body movements, and you can hear it in the song. Uh, I, I don't. I think that they made the best point of action there. Of we got to make sure that at any point visually we're not doing something. They like I said, I think that they took the Disney approach of just not outright. Uh, well, uh, not outright acknowledging it at all, but without the thought of Disney to saying no, that never happened. Is they said yes it happened there is no flattering way to draw this we're not going to take any visual standpoint from any of those types of characters and uh or caricatures and make that happen and like i said you know the the trickster character the white gloves that kind of stuff does have its roots in that but they haven't taken anything uh caricature wise the racial aspect of it directly because that would have caused them a lot more shit stirring than what's happening already. 
Uh, do you have anything, any thoughts about that, David? I think overall, this is going to be, I won't go so far as to say it's much ado about nothing because I don't mm-hmm. think it is much. It yeah. is, as I said, I think in the general consciousness of the gaming community, uh, whether you're white or not, this is going to be a passing conversation. And I think it's a good conversation to have. Uh, I'm glad that MDHR has acknowledged it. I'm glad it was brought up. But I can honestly say that I don't... And, and the impression that I get from Cole's article, I don't think he either believes that the omission of these types of tropes from this era were omitted from Cuphead with malicious intent. I don't think any of this was done with malicious intent. And that happens. Again, if he feels uncomfortable, that's him. And there are a lot of things in media that I know make me uncomfortable. When I would do a podcast about The Walking Dead with my friend Jackie Hearn, her and I would always be the ones to point out that more often than not, the black people would die more often than anybody else. And it was something that the first time it was, it was kind of a joke. The second time it was noticeable. The third time it becomes a pattern and then it's a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't like bringing up problems, because if there is a problem, that's not good. I don't think that anything with Cuphead and MDHR is, by any stretch of the imagination, a problem. I can understand where some black people and and other uh, minorities would feel uncomfortable with it. Do, Do I understand where that's coming from? Yes. However, I think that... I don't think that this is a, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't see this as a gross carriage of art. I don't think that this is something that is either malicious or something that is done out of ignorance. I don't think that was the case here. I don't think so either. If there's anything, there is one instance in the game that I'm actually really surprised bell over a lot of people's heads but i have a theory about it that kind of gets into maybe my last point about this is there is a genie character uh in cuphead Ah, and the background is this agraba kind of uh douglas adam douglas fairbanks douglas adams Adams. fairbanks thief of baghdad situation where we're gonna take pyramids and uh you know, Arabian architecture and the desert and all kinds of stuff and shove that into a beautiful watercolor background. But obviously, historically, uh, you know, it doesn't mesh together. It's all just exotic for the sake of being exotic. Uh, And then the genie himself doesn't look human. He's obviously this uh, humanoid sort of genie creature. And doesn't have any nose. He doesn't have any particular lip features. He's just got a grin and it's mostly teeth. Uh, But if there's anything, I think it's just the fact that the only thing that they captured racially there 
was oh and he has red skin but it's it's bright red it's not meant to be that uh it doesn't look anything like how the native americans it's, it's look not Peter Pan. it's not what makes the red man red is what you're saying it, it's it's a uh, uh, very candid it doesn't look like they're trying to resemble any kind of human creature uh it is uh, well not a human creature well we are creatures but it's not meant to resemble anything human it's a creature obviously a creature it's like why the genie's blue in aladdin yeah um and my theory for why this went under so many people's radar is because it happens in the part of Disney that we don't scrutinize for its racial situations. People like to talk about Disney before he died. Uh, you know, the, the, the current, the classic era of Disney with every single point of any kind of minutia with the magnifying glass on it and say, this is where this is racist. This is where this is racist. And you barely hear anybody. It's recently come up in discussion only very recently. I'm talking maybe less than a month ago. I finally started seeing people talk about it. But before that, I haven't seen a single person talk about post uh, post Disney Disney films, especially the 90s renaissance. I'm talking Hunchback of Notre Dame, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid's got a character that ain't cool, guys. It is a non-Jamaican fella playing a Jamaican crab with very big lips. I thought you were thinking, are you going with Sebastian? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you are. Yeah. it's Sebastian. We have both instances of Beauty and the Beast where the amorous French candlestick Lumiere is not played by a French man, but another guy doing a very exaggerated French accent. We have uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame where nobody is French. There were the no French actors the story, in that. The entirety of the story is based in its very nature from why Victor Hugo wrote it in the first place to celebrate the beautiful architecture of Notre Dame itself. And of course, they take liberties anyway. I mean, Jason Alexander is a uh, a gargoyle. but And Aladdin. Holy shit, Aladdin. Wow, guys. And Mulan. There are maybe two Asians, I think, in the whole cast of Mulan, and 90% of the jokes and humor come from making fun of Asian culture for a pun or a punchline, something. And I don't find a problem with it because I'm white, but also just because, like many people, this was something that I was heavily steeped in as a kid, and you don't find anything wrong with it then. And now I think people are finally coming around and going, all right, if we can sit back and talk about what makes the red man red, we got to talk about let's go kick some honey buns. And we got to talk about Sebastian and we talk about all this kind of stuff. So, you know, if you want to talk honestly say want to talk culture as as a little kid. I remember thinking to myself as a little kid when I saw the mermaid, I remember thinking, Okay, Sebastian's got a Jamaican accent, but I'm pretty sure that actor is not Jamaican. Yeah. I remember and, uh, thinking that as a kid. And even if there were, I think there were some non-white speaking role characters for Aladdin, but they they got white people to sing the songs, folks, cuz I guess it sounds nicer. 
like I said, I'm not mad. I'm not trying to go all Tumblr on this kind of thing. But if you're going to try and take this rhetoric that is blowing up on Tum- Twitter, not Tumblr, Twitter. I actually, ironically, you've called me the Tumblr king and I ain't been on Tumblr in ages. <laughs> I just dump things there. But uh, that being said, if, if I don't mean to go full Tumblr or anything like that. If you want to take a look at this rhetoric from wherever you're finding it, because it's blowing up because Kotaku is really inflammatory about it, uh, read the damn article. Not the Kotaku one, but the, the, the unwinnable article. Read that. Make your, make your thoughts. Realize if maybe your discomfort is being imposed over having just read the article or if you always felt that way. And think, if you, if you really think that there are are issues there think about again the shorthand that still exists these days in classic cartoon characters think about what is present in other works that is actually unacceptable and for all heaven for for heaven's sakes the 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 most important thing is enjoy your damn game because at the end of the day there ain't nothing wrong with it and i'm kind of mad the only thing i'm mad about is that i have to wait to cosplay a character from Cuphead, Cuphead himself, in this now post-controversy situation. I'm not looking forward to that. And that's maybe the one thing I think I'm righteously okay. Yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised when it comes to... I mean, the California scene is kind of touchy already. I I definitely have as many enemies as I do friends, and I got me some friends. Uh, So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the hell goes on after this. I'm a little spicy. And I, I just spicy. want to say, since we, since we did talk about Disney, I believe they should be noted for their massive overcorrection in the upcoming CG remake of The Lion King. Because if you've seen yeah. the cast of The Lion King, wow, that, that cast is really something. Yeah, and don't call it a live-action remake. Like like David said, it is CG, because there is no way you're getting real lions in there. It just end up being Disney's planet Earth. <laughs> uh, I'd honestly like to see that. Try and shove a baboon <laughs> next to a lion, and then they just eat him. <laughs> there, there's, there's enough trash in the world. There's enough trash. I, I want to keep talking about good things, Jack. That's, we, that's why we, we do this. Things. Yes, I, like, I could like talk Inu about Yashiki. what's good about everything. Yes, Yashiki. Speaking of blood, holy shit! Uh, I, uh. I have been saying all fall season that this has been the one show for this fall anime season that I've really been looking forward to. This was number one on on my personal watch list. Where we're doing a few other shows for its in season. But this one is my personal number one. Uh, It's about five episodes in already. And as I said on the last episode of It's In Season, when Shay and I were doing that episode, when it hits episode four, and this is a lot of anime, sometimes it does take getting all the way to that fourth episode for it to click. Now, for me personally, Inuyashiki hit the ground running. I loved the premise. I loved the story it was trying to tell. And I loved the the way it was being told. We have this gentleman, Mr. Inuyashiki, 
who is 58 and he's diagnosed with terminal cancer. He, he's going to die. And the problem is, is that his family really doesn't care. His wife, his son, his daughter, all he really has as far as someone that really cares about him is his dog, which is, you know, a, a classic I'm story. All, all, all I've got in, in the world is my dog. My dog's the only one that still loves me. Until You know, it's funny you say that they don't care because he never tells them. But, well, you know, the, it, the the impression is that in the beginning, you get the idea that they really aren't giving him the time of day at all. Yeah, and I'll I'll have something to say about that. I'm a little bit fresher off of I I've uh, I'm two episodes in, uh, and I'll okay. have something to say about that. But uh, he never told them. But you do get the idea that you know, it obviously it's going to be hard to break that to him. But what happens to him? Uh, what happens to him after that, David? Uh, he 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 gets to deal with the aliens, and the aliens turn him <laughs> into a super-powered cyborg man. And he decides that now that he sees that he's not going to die, and he's been turned into a cyborg man, he's going to help people, as you do. Mm-hmm. Or you might not do if you're the other character who is oh, the antagonist. This guy. We have a young teenage gentleman in high school. He he enjoys manga, as you do. And he also <laughs> ends up getting a run-in with the aliens. And he takes it upon himself to say that because I'm no longer human the one way that I can truly feel alive and feel like a human again is from the rush of killing people. And he just starts And asking them if they people. like One Piece. Bang. Bang. It, Bang. He's, he's like the American psycho, but for nerd otakus, because he comes in uh, after killing this girl's entire family and then asks her, do you like One Piece? And that the I only just want- thing through my head... Was I just want do you everyone like Huey to know, Lewis and the news? I, I just want everyone out there to know. Uh, hey, everybody! This is David DJM David Majors. Uh, I just want everyone to know One Piece is great. I've never said anything bad or disparaging about One Piece ever. It's great. It's 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 great. It's great. <laughs> One Piece is great, guys. It's, oh, it's really man. great. It, 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 David, it's okay. It's gotten worse. It's fine. Let it go. It's okay. No, it's no, okay. Jack. I, I've acknowledged. I, I love One Piece now. I, I love it. It's, it's great, <laughs> and, and it's it's not almost older than SpongeBob SquarePants, and and it's not almost as old as hey, The Simpsons. It's, SpongeBob's been coming around. I don't know and, if you knew, but SpongeBob's coming around. They got Hillenburg back on it. One Piece, yeah. though. Oh man, that's just call me DJM. I I love One Piece. It's it's great, guys. It's great. So promise it's great. That's as far as I've gotten in the series. I told David that spoilers were okay because other people are also talking to me about the show. And I really like the premise and this kind of dichotomy between these two characters. 
but it does kind of give me just in that kind of jokey vibe of like it's almost like damn kids <laughs> at the end of the day that's the big thesis but um well then what's really notable you'll about see it, okay yes you're saying that now but I, like I'm i said joking. on it's in season like i said on it's in season Sometimes when you're watching anime by season or if you're binge watching it, yes, even nowadays, kids, sometimes you have to get to that fourth or fifth episode. I I like it so far. It didn't have to uh, hook me anymore. It's because of availability, which I know you have a lot to talk about, David. But I just wanted to say while we're still in territory that I'm familiar with, I really like the fact uh, that... Much like Catherine, this is kind of a unique perspective to have for a character in anime or a game. In Catherine, it was a 30-something dude who was actually in a relationship, which is not things that you see in in a game with anime-style people. You usually see some, some high schooler who is gonna get a girlfriend or is gonna not get a girlfriend, but six fuck slaves. But that's another thing. This is about an older man. And not just 30-something. He much older. He is he is the old boy. And he is our main character. He's 58? I thought he was 65. Yeah, he is he is an old man. I mean, my dad would have something to say about that. He 81, but, you know, it's age is just a number. And uh, this fellow definitely feels old. He feels the time along him. And I, I appreciate the fact that we have a character this old as the focus of an anime. Because, David, I'm getting tired of them high school animes because as, as the years go, that's something that I continue to put behind me. And get tired about having it rehashed while people go to Academy City or whatever the hell. And moreover, I think the antagonist is really, really cool. And I think also, if I can be uh, a bit of an ass about another big long-running shonen now. Well, not long-running, but a shonen. Is... uh, I think he's the right way to do the I'm bad, I am 100% bad, and the whole world's going to answer right now just to tell you once again who's bad kind of young man character. Unlike everyone's favorite grenade hand boy in My Hero Academia. Now I know Thank you, Jackson. He, he's got circumstances surrounding him. And I like I like parts of his character, but he is so over the top in the characterization and the flashbacks of being this horrible, shitty person. And you ask yourself a million times, Deku, you bitch, he was never your friend. Why the fuck are you hanging around him? And I get maybe you want to subvert the idea that they're childhood friends and they used to have a lot of cool things. But I, I would think a little bit more interesting to sit back and say wow he was really considerate and nice to him and then all of a sudden he's decided to be this bitch to his friend Deku but no we get grenade hands I'm still kind of gunning for my friends and I to uh, get together our little uh, abridged dub where I will be 
uh, playing the part of Kachan and uh, giving him the voice of Patrick Warburton because I think that will improve him immensely. <laughs> but we'll see. I think this kid's got the right trope. As, uh, he's got the right way of handling this trope, I think, is my point at the end of that stupid rant about My Hero Academia. No, Jack. Once uh, again, as I've said so many times, I knew you'd come around. I knew yeah. you'd come around. Yeah. But back to Inuyashiki, I will say about him, give it a, give it a few more episodes. I think that his development will be really fascinating. And I, I'm, in, I'm interested in your take on how it progresses. And as we go on, we find that Ichio, Mr. Inuyashiki, himself mm. is a real hero. And it shows that you don't have to be six foot four, chiseled jaw, and muscles like crazy to be a hero. You Me don't have to be that, All Might. Given how much I love All Might. <laughs> ironically enough Inuyashiki, I, I love him I do and not just because he named one of his moves after Detroit I swear he's amazing Inuyashiki he's shows that hero. you you don't have to be that type of hero to be a hero and a character acknowledges that when he sees him uh, spoiler he also has the ability to heal along with just being invulnerable and, and being able to fly and all of that stuff. He can heal people as well. And he starts just going to hospitals all across the general Tokyo area and healing people, cancer, incurable diseases, what have you, and just doing it in the shadows without anyone knowing. But someone does pick up on this and says, I want to help you. I want to help you help these people. I want to help you stop Mr. Antagonist over here because what you're doing is amazing. And That's really there's awesome. also, and also uh, when I was looking up, looking up some things for, for any Yashiki, the most recent episode, episode five, is, I believe, what the kids call a good dose of justice porn. <laughs> there, there is a lovely young couple in Japan who get engaged, and there's nothing overly special or unique about them. They're just a man and a woman who love each other, and they fall into a really 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 bad way and in the end it turns out great for them and you see Ichio and Yashiki's heroic side and you also see his first flashes of anger because superheroes the paragons of virtue that they are even somebody like Superman can really get angry at how bad some people are and he'll He'll kind of lay in his punches a little bit harder. And this was the first time we see that Inuyashiki has the line where he, as he says, he'll, he won't forgive people for their heinous actions. And he, 
he really makes them pay. And he makes them pay in such a unique and special way to this show that it was incredibly satisfying in that justice porn kind of way. Uh, This was a rare standalone anime episode where it was the lowest of lows and scariest of scary moments that ends on the highest of high notes. And it was, and not in kind of the anime kind of way, but in the very emotional, heart-wrenching way where this was just a very great ending for two kind of regular people. And it it would probably be the best, best single episode of anime I've seen in a long time. It was just fantastic. And you even looking forward to that. Then the antagonist, something happens with him that, and and this is, I'm not going to spoil this because this is huge. Something even happens with the antagonist where even he starts to regain some of his humanity. So that's something else for you to look forward to. So Jack, I cannot recommend Inuyashiki enough. I would say that if we're both watching this, we should keep tabs on it. I feel like. I think so too. Um, it'll be tough because availability is kind of weird. Uh, before you get into your point about that, because I know you wanted to talk about that, I just wanted to play Netflix for a second and say, David, I'm sure it's in a different fashion than the justice porn president, Inuyashiki, but I would like to say, if you like justice porn in your anime, then you might also enjoy Hell Girl, which is a very interesting take on getting back at people for doing wrong things and it's also very death parade uh to my knowledge to my remembrance of it it's been a while since i watched it but it's a good kind of rainy day winter oh it's real cold outside so let's watch something spooky and japanese and uh, a little bit uh over the top with its creepiness but also justice porn uh but i want to keep up on Inuyashiki for sure but it's kind of difficult Dave it is kind of like to express your issues it is a little bit difficult to watch Inuyashiki pause legally Mm -hmm. the reason is because I your intrepid podcast host David Majors opted to take the plunge I am very much of the narrative that if you can afford a service that is providing something that you think is at a reasonable price, you should do it. So I had said for a long time that I'm not going to try Anime Strike from Amazon. Because one, they had no anime I was interested in. And two... There had been far too many examples of Amazon really not doing much for the anime content that they have. The overall anime company as a whole is not happy with Anime Strike. However, at the same time, ya boy was also saying that Inuyashiki was the one show that I was looking forward to more than most. And damn it all, I had to Arthur Fist meme grit my teeth and say to Anime Strike, all right, you sons of bitches, I will subscribe and I will 
give you a shot because you bastards got Inuyashiki. Okay, you win. You got me. Okay, fine. Fast forward a couple of weeks, Jackson. And lo and behold, I I see that Anime Strike was on, like, episode three of Inuyashiki. And I thought, hmm, that that doesn't seem right, because... I'm seeing people on Twitter talking about episodes anime full episode four of Inuyashiki. So I took it upon myself to search a couple of the other parts of the internet where anime is available through not so legal means. And lo and behold, they were already on episode five of Inuyashiki. Like, I I was in the process of watching episode four, and then episode five popped up and was ready for viewing, subtitles and all. So, and this ain't cool. It's not. So, Anime Strike, you need to step your game the fuck up yesterday when it comes or to Inuyashiki. we're gonna go on strike. No, that's not right. I should have said Cause, spare. Because you're about to strike out if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> it is not a good day to cross anime fans who would like to, oh, I don't know, support the official release. Especially with something as unique as Inuyashiki, which deserves the viewership to show people that this is something that we want to see more of. Some more unique content. It's a really nice, interesting show, and it deserves and to have be covered properly with good streaming. I get streaming. so frustrated, Jack. I get so frustrated because there are these times where I feel like the anime medium is passing me by. Um, with the exception of this fall season, because there's a lot going on that I'm really enjoying. But every once in a while, there's a show like Inuyashiki that is very special to me, personally, that I feel like strikes a chord with me. And I don't get shows like that very often anymore. And then when I see something like this happen to it, where the legal streaming service it's on really starts to slack, and then I see the other streaming services have some other anime that I am of the belief that are well beneath Inuyashiki... It just gets so frustrating that it's, something like this happens. It just it frustrates me to no end. It's not fair. Like this this kind of thing needs to be fixed again yesterday because this is something special. It's unique and it deserves to have itself out there for for people to have the I don't know the ability to watch to support it in the meantime hope this gets fixed i also watched another anime that was more readily available because of its uh kind of popularity and uh i'd like to recap people on what the hell it was and what the hell it be so without further ado david uh i'm i'm as halfway through this uh second season of uh, Osomatsu-san season two. Ah, yes. Because they have six episodes, and uh, 
this is an anime that maybe without being as uh, sentimental about it or anything that I feel also strikes a chord with me (laughs) and the kind of person that I am. Uh, Guys, Osamatsu-san, what could be said about it that hasn't been said? Well, I've recapped it before. I'll talk a little bit about it again. This is an episodic series that is based off of a 1960s uh, gag manga and then was later brought into the anime format. It was huge in Japan, Osamatsu-kun. And they've aged up the characters into 20-something neats. And the big draw of this is... They all look like John Arbuckle, and they're sex tuplets. That's right. Their mama, her pussy, is wrecked. And I think that's about as lewd as I can get with that. But what they've really branched out with when it came to making Osomatsu-kun, Osomatsu-san, is each of the characters, each of the Matsus, because they all go by Matsu, uh, have unique personalities. And without getting too deep into it, uh, we got Osomatsu-san, the leader, the red one, number one, oldest one. He likes pachinko and girls' boobies. You got Karamatsu, ya boy Karamatsu. He wears sunglasses and speaks in English a lot, and it's very hilarious. You got Choromatsu. He wears green, and he's the responsible one, but he also really likes them idols that y'all like to scream about on Twitter. You got Ichimatsu. He likes cats, dressing in purple, and having messy hair. You got Junshimatsu, and I don't think there's really anything I can say to describe Junshimatsu except for baseball and muscle, muscle, hustle, hustle. And then lastly, the baby of the group, and very aware that he's a baby, is Totomatsu, who wears pink and hides his chest in the bath. And uh, that's about as straightforward as any explanation you could possibly have, because the series was notable to me in 2015 for being madcap, hilarious, having a unique kind of uh, spin on its animation, on the outline style, everything like that. It looks very pretty for having a scene with with a guy... to take a shit on a Starbucks table. And I think that's about all I could say about that. But season two came out, and David, they're not pulling any punches. They wanted this to be a big success. You can tell from the beginning. Uh, there is another episode. Everybody remembers uh, back in 2015, They, uh, the anime studio actually recalled episode one. It's still available for... Uh, by non-legal means but official releases have omitted it entirely and if you take a look at it it's not hard to see why because in order to make the anime relevant in the the 20 teens uh, the Matsus decided that when they go and make their big jump into mainstream anime they would basically be Attack on Titan and uh, y'all remember about 2015 and Attack on Titan so Called indeed. They did another anime parody of slightly more generic, and I stress the word slightly for episode one. And I think if you're on the fence about taking another look at Osomatsu-san and you don't want to take a look at a, uh, a not legal episode and see what kind of style of humor it is, I think that season two, episode one is the 
the right kind of a thing to get you into the mood for it. They change animation styles a lot. They parody a lot of different things. And like I said, it's slightly more of a generic parody, but only slightly. You will see stuff you recognize specifically. And uh, the humor is still spot on. It's ridiculous. It's gross at times. Very, very hysterical. And I continue to recommend it. And I look forward to upcoming episodes because they have basically made this – they are making this as best as they can. I think. And the big thing, I think, that is a big draw of making this stand above season one is that season two has decided to completely drop dressing them in identical outfits. Because I know that's a big draw for – or that was a big uh, drawback for a lot of people, a, a very big con of the the original – season or the the very first part of the first season is they had this idea that you'd still be able to tell sex tuplets apart if they were wearing the same thing and once you get used to them you can but i think that they have decided they're going to make this as accessible as possible and then make the humor really raunchy by japanese standards so again if you need a laugh if you're watching something heavy like eating yashiki and you need to take a step back and go, hold the fuck up. What did I watch? Or if you just want to laugh in general, it is definitely a big candidate, I think. Now, Jack, would yes. you say this season of Inuyashiki, um, not Inuyashiki, Osumatsu-san, <laughs> I- I've always gotten the impression that Osumatsu-san is something of a screwball comedy. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Very episodic, okay. very screwy, very ball. Sometimes so, literally testicles can be involved. Well, I was going to say, where would a guy <laughs> jump in? But now I know. Where I would a guy jump a cup in? If I, now I need to know I need to <laughs> a cup if I were to jump in. Yeah. But but would yeah. you say that this, this season would be a good place to jump in for the uninitiated? I'd say, yeah, because they even go in and uh, they flesh out the parents a little bit. So you get a little bit of a uh, mental insight. Anime into parents! Their yeah, anime parents. And let me just say Matsuyo and Matsu... Ko? I believe they're both called because we got to keep the Matsu name alive. Uh, you know, they're, they're very interesting parents. They got interesting issues and all that kind of stuff. If... Uh, if I could maybe make a recommendation for those of you who uh, kind of want to take a look at the whole series and aren't sure where to start again, maybe start with season season two. You know, they do a good job of kind of establishing the characters. And if you want more funnies, if you want more yeehaws and ha-has, then uh, start maybe mid-season one because then they'll still kind of have the, uh, you know, the color coding so you can tell everybody apart. And then you can kind of jump into season one from the beginning proper because then you'll be able to tell who's who even though they're wearing the same thing. Because they were wearing their classic outfits for the most part of the beginning because it's a classic anime. It's this big cultural staple and they wanted it to resemble that still. But you can't tell until you've kind of come to know the characters a bit. So I'd say season two is still a way to jump off. I like it. I like it. The the more I hear about this show and 
the the more people I see into it. Scatological humor aside, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm I'm occasionally into a screwball anime comedy now and then. Most people know that I am a devotee of Bobo 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 Bo. So I do have a <laughs> sense of humor in my anime people. I do yes. enjoy the occasional laughy laugh. So Bobo the more Boy I hear about treasure, oh, and this is this is up there for me. The more I hear about Osumatsu-san, the more I'm intrigued. And but there I'm are touching s- episodes, too. I would say, like, you could be surprised, David. There there was some tearjerkers in season one. Not gonna lie. They come out of nowhere. Some news that I saw earlier today that came out of nowhere that was very oh, yeah. near and dear to my heart. <laughs> uh, Gundam. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, it's it's still out there. The the Gundam franchise is still kicking, still going strong. That new Gundam versus game came out, and it's a prime example of why everybody hates loot boxes and overly priced DLC. But it's out there, and it looks kind of fun. I I might play it. I got to touch it a little bit at Yelmicon. But we're going to talk about the anime right now because, as it turns out, a couple of Gundam anime, in fact. One anime in particular that I never thought would get a home release is getting a home release through Right Stuff and Nozomi Entertainment. Uh, Gundam Unicorn, a fantastic piece from the Universal Century and one of the better mobile suits of the modern era. Gundam 00, which I've said many, many times is my favorite Gundam anime of all time and maybe top three anime ever mobile suit gundam double o that's that's the anime i always recommend when people say david i want to get into gundam what should i watch i always tell people with the the gundam flow chart inside of my head i always tell them start with gundam double o that that is the starter and we go from there and also the one that I thought would not get a release because it was not exactly well received. Mobile Suit Gundam Age. This one was a Gundam series that was okay until somewhere in the 40s of its episodes. It it finished at episode 50 or 52. It might have gotten the full 52. But when it hit the 40s is where it really kind of fell off the rails, which kind of happens a lot with some Gundam series when it's ramping up and getting towards the end. It can either be a grand, glorious, epic finale or it can be something that totally falls off the rails and just goes into absolute fuckery. Mobile Suit Gundam Age ended up in fuckery because it told the story of a father, or, or rather, a grandfather, a father, and a son. Three generations of Gundam pilots. And it had some interesting story elements, some new story elements that were new to Gundam, at least. And for about... 80% of it, it was good. But the last five or six episodes really soured everyone on Gundam Age. And I'm really surprised that I guess there was enough demand for it to get to get a release. I would think that... Excuse me. Would I recommend Gundam Age to people? I'm gonna say... As crazy as this may sound, even now, 
in retrospect, I think I would. I would recommend Gundam Age to people depending on where you're at in the Gundam flowchart in my head. If anybody out there ever wants to go on the journey of David's Gundam flowchart, let me know. at Just call me DJM. Send me an email through the website. You know what to do. I say Gundam Age is not a terrible anime. It's actually good to above average for most of it. It's just that the last five or six episodes really go off the rails. Like, wow, it really went off the rails. But the animation is good. The suits are cool. They're very unique. They're they're more like the anime Heroic Age rather than Gundam, which was really unique. Uh, the, the unknown enemy is really unique, like I said. And... The storytelling venue of telling it through three generations of grandfather, father, and son was a really cool story dynamic that almost worked. Almost. Almost, almost. Jack, have you ever had an anime like that where it seems like it's going really well, really well, then when you know it's time to come to the denouement, if you will, and it just completely falls apart. Have you ever had anything like that? I immediately, I immediately thought of two of my favorite uh, shonen animes. I thought of Blue Exorcist, and I thought of Soul Eater. Wow, mm. just wow! That is the time when you have to watch, the, you have to read the fucking manga because Jesus Christ. Uh, David, I'm actually curious because I know um, I have mentioned a Gundam before. And let's see if you can remember on your handy dandy little flowchart which Gundam that I have dabbled in. And I won't joke and say it was Code Geass. Um, was it G Gundam? It was G Gundam. That's the one. Okay. I li- yeah. You know, yeah. the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it, I really enjoyed it. And I like the designs. And... Uh, I don't know if, if I if I ever uh, finally get around to completing that, then I may uh, I may give it a try. Now, actually, that's something. Would you consider Inuyashiki uh, a mech anime? It's it's certainly no. got mechanical people involved, but you wouldn't call it a mech anime. No, I, I would not call Inuyashiki a mech anime in the same way I do not call Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex a mech anime. It is, I consider Inuyashiki sci-fi. That's a fair point. I was thinking uh, that a, a staple that people tend to forget because they just think anime is giant robots is uh, I thought that I, I was going to say that I thought that an argument could be made because of the exploration of the humanity behind the machinery, but then you said Ghost in the Shell, and I realized that, yes, this is a very Ghost in the Shell-style story. <laughs> so, uh, point point uh, point obliterated. Touché. But, David, we got some cool stuff we got to talk about, some cool anime. It's all really cool, and we love it. I just kind of wish we could just kind of jam some things that we like together you know what i'm saying i wish we could do something like that oh wait it's been happening david it's, it's already happening games. jack fighting games Holy fighting shit. games fighting games jesus i'm jack. ready to 
despite all of the games, all of the characters, um, I mean, I mean Mario and Tech Attack Tournament. <laughs> what the we're, hell we're, is going on? We're at the point right now, Jack, where basically every f- major game developer with a large tentpole fighting game, except for Capcom, has decided that they saw Mugen one day and was like, oh, Oh, is that what you guys are? Is that what you? Is that what the kids are into? Is that what the kids are into nowadays? Well, let's just let's just see what we can do since we've got the money and the resources. Let's make some phone calls. Let's take it. Let's do it. Holy crap! Recently, Jack uh, at a couple of different. For for everyone out there, for for the people out there left that haven't seen these stories, uh, recently uh, at a tournament for Injustice Two, uh, there were a couple of DLC characters announced uh, for Injustice Two: uh, Enchantress, Adam, and lastly the the one where the internet broke uh, Saturday night was Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are going to be DLC in Injustice 2. I have to be completely honest with you. When I first saw that, I, I you know, I didn't see any pictures with the, the text that was accompanying the news. So I legitimately thought it was Leonardo da Vinci, Michael, and, like the, the actual artist. I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. I'm still waiting for that, like, great thinkers of history fighting game with so I can smash everybody as nikola tesla but that being said holy shit tmnt and injustice 2 <laughs> and what i loved about this is that it that the ninja turtles fit perfectly within the nether realm fighting game mechanic because it's going to look like you are going to play the ninja turtles as four different fighting styles i'm so sort glad. of in the vein as playing Triborg in the Mortal Kombat games, where you could play Sector, Cyber Sub Zero, and Cyrax. It's looking like with the Ninja Turtles, you are going to play them with four different fighting styles for each Ninja Turtle. You're going to have Donatello, who looks like he might be a range character. Uh, th- that's my first instinct. Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing Raphael might be projectile heavy. Uh, Those are my first guesses. And yeah, this looks really, really cool, Jackson. I'm really excited, especially since like I was concerned when I when I was thinking about the play styles myself of, you know, essentially in the beat 'em up games, the TMNT beat 'em up games, they pretty much played the same. Let's be honest with ourselves. Animation differences aside. Uh, So I was really happy to find that they were going to be you know, alternating and all that kind of stuff. And people are already making, you know, their little tier lists, everything, but all of that nonwithstanding, uh, David, who are you going to pick? Who, who are you going to play as? Well, as a wee lad, I, I always flipped between Leonardo and Donatello. And in this day and age, I feel like those are the two that I still identify with the most and I will probably lean towards Donatello. How about you, Jackson? Uh, th- this is always like pretty embarrassing of me to say, but 
But, you know, I always really liked uh, Michelangelo and I would always try and, uh, you know, dib dibs for Mikey. Are, are, you, to, are uh, you a party dude, Jack? Are I, you a party I would dude? like to think so. I would wear that puka shell he had in the Michael Bay movies. I'm not even kidding. Uh, he, he a party dude. I'm a party dude. And when I play fighting games, I came I come to party. I don't come to be this big brooding serious guy in a trench coat. I'm not a Johnny main and guilty ear. I come and I trum and I come and I have fun. So I'm ready to, I, I may, to tee hee. I may, and this will give me an excuse to brush up on my ear. injustice. <laughs> I take fighting games very seriously. I don't play <sighs> games to have fun. But, you know, I'm actually really happy because it looks like there these uh, devs are encouraging us to play games, to have fun, and to not think too deeply about a fighting game story. Uh, especially since a lot of these aren't too story heavy games. Well, well they are, but they're like, they're a little ridiculous. I'd say they're not the ones that are noted for story. I'd say, uh, we also have, holy crap. We but have it, even, Noctis. it gets, it gets even yeah. more ridiculous, Jack, because of the Tekken world yeah. tour championship finals Sunday night, uh, Katsuhiro Harada, uh, the the director of Tekken, and and Mike Myers, uh, they announced that Noctis from Final yep. Fantasy XV will be a DLC character in Tekken Seven in spring of 2018. <laughs> this is coming Y'all. off the heels of the recent release of Geese Howard from Fatal Fury. Going to be uh, j- just released now, recently in Tekken Seven, and now we have knocked us from Final Fantasy Fifteen. It's them boys. <laughs> I can't. And the my friend Heather, who I I talked about earlier, she is both a huge Tekken fan like myself, and also the biggest Final Fantasy fan that I know. And when I sent her the video of the trailer of Noctis, she basically told me that she nearly had to run to the bathroom when she saw the video. <laughs> oh, man. And once I, again, I the, the, inter- <laughs> the internet exploded once again. I don't blame him. <laughs> because once again... What is going on is in it- Tekken? Here, here's a here's another character that is completely out of nowhere. And as someone who loves Tekken, I, I love this because it's so out there. It's right up with with Geese Howard. Because when I saw Geese Howard, my first thought was, "Wait, is that Rock Howard's dad? That, that, that's Geese Howard. What? What is going on?" I love Geese Howard. I'm actually and then. Still, like, really from that. <laughs> and then th- this last but, I mean, night, because I, w- I was watching it live as it happened, and-, and they had the crowd reactions on YouTube and everything. And my reaction was similar to seeing the Ninja Turtles announced for Injustice. It was just hysterical laughter under the guise of shock and confusion. Like, what? what is going on, people? What are we doing? I mean, you madman! I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> this is the game that has a roster that includes bear and panda. <laughs> Let's not forget and, this people and tiny dinosaur and tiny dinosaur. 
and tiny dinosaur. Guys, 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 please. You can finally have Disney Planet Earth uh, dream match and have a goose and a bear fight. I'm sorry, that was terrible. But Noctis. <laughs> I don't Noctis know what to make of this. In Tekken. <laughs> Because I haven't played Final Fantasy XV, but I know the aesthetic of it and the, that kind of a, of an atmosphere and story. The, uh, the one thing that I saw quite mesh from from fans was, wouldn't he be a better fit for Soul Calibur? I was I was thinking the same damn thing. But Soul <laughs> Calibur is dead, people. It's dead. It is. It is. It's okay to mourn, and it I'm is okay sad about to mourn. That. And and it is sad, yeah. but Soul Calibur is dead. That was my only dead. 3D fighting game I'd play. <laughs> uh, may, maybe I'll play Tekken. This is this is kind of a way I think to draw in more people because this is ridiculous. It's it's funny. It is definitely entertaining, and it, not in the least is it boring. This is really really bizarre, and, and it's it fun. won't it's, affect the. It really won't have affect some ridiculous the, the diehard tournament scene in any way this is this is exactly what you said this is to get more people's attention that may not be as into Tekken as someone like me and by all accounts it's working mm-hmm. it even happened in a game i like it happens in a game that i still am frequently enjoying uh it's yeah. a little something called blaze blue cross tag battle yeah, and we we got Blaze Blue Cross uh, Tag Battle to look forward to. That's Blaze Blue Persona Four Arena, which was another Arxis handled fighting game. Undernight in Birth, which I think is you know pretty underrated as far as uh, playstyle goes, and characters from Ruby, and uh, it, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm not huge on Ruby at all. This has been said, but I can see this drawing people in and. It looks like like they're not even have that big of an impact on the cast because, of course, it being Blaze Blue, it's going to be mostly Blaze Blue. Uh, and I just got to say, uh, I like Undernight, and maybe this will get people into Undernight as well because that shit available on Steam, and it's a really good port, and it's really fun. And you want to talk about ridiculous, David? Undernight got everybody. Just looked at everybody in the cast and said, "You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give everybody a a move, special move, but just a press of a button move that'll reach across the entire screen." And to see that in in conjunction with Blaze Blue and Persona Four uh, play styles is gonna be really weird. Like I'm thinking of this from a gameplay standpoint as well. Of this will be interesting for tournaments. And again, you're right. It's not going to have like a big effect, uh, those DLC characters, because, you know, it, game's a game's a game. It, it, it's silly, fun, but at the end of the day, it's just going to be uh, back to the old grind for a lot of fighting game players. But I don't know, man. Tekken. <laughs> I can say that I do have friends that are into Ruby, as well as Persona. And I have friends that are into Blaze Blue. So I'm looking forward to the day that this game comes out and we can all play this at the anime club that I go to. 
because there are Persona fans, there are Blaze Blue fans. I'm I dabble with Blaze Blue. I dabble, and there are some Ruby fans, and I don't d- hate Ruby. And I'm really intrigued as to how those characters will work in a fighting game world. I feel like they will work extremely well. Because given what I've seen of the show, it makes sense that they would be in a fighting game. Maybe it would be a better fit in an arena fighter like Naruto or Gundam Versus. But I can see this working in an Arxis fighting game. When it comes to Blaze Blue mm-hmm. Cross Tag Battle, my only thing is I feel like it could work. Like yeah. I have confidence in it. It just seems like it would work. It makes sense. Where as opposed to seeing Noctis in Tekken 7, <laughs> the thought of that is just like what 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 are you doing? How, how are I you have, doing this? And and I have uh, one con- a couple of concerns. Uh, uh concerns with ruby being honestly 90 percent of my issue with ruby is gonna go away because the characters will be drawn i think that will make a big difference for me drawn by professional artists and then converted into sprites i think that will bring a lot of the issues that i have with the characters and how they look you know into a thing and this game unlike it's uh recent off the heels of central fiction because of the English release of Ruby, might get a dub. Who fucking guessed? That might actually bring up the, uh, if it happens to get a dub, that might actually open up the conversation of, okay, but why not Central Fiction, though? And I would be interested in partaking of that conversation. My other concern, non-Ruby-wise, is Persona 4 Arena. Have you played that, David? You played it at all? Or have you uh, seen a little it? bit, yes. At least? A little bit. Yeah. I've played so, a little bit. You're familiar with the fact that, much like the Persona RPG series, uh, main component of the gameplay style for the fighting is to have your persona. Yes. This is a tag. This is a two v two tag style game that they're going to be making here. I'm interested in if they're going to be altering the characters a little bit because obviously the way that the personas worked in persona arena was almost like a tag system in and of itself in blaze blue and under night uh and even a little bit in persona arena they had kind of this special they had light medium and heavy and then in blaze blue it's called a drive so that's a special attack that's unique to that particular character and i'm wondering if they're going to maybe incorporate it into that kind of a play style for some persona attacks but i think that because it's now going to be a tag style game uh, where you're going to be controlling two whole characters instead of a character and a persona. I'm wondering how they're going to rework the persona arena characters in this game. That'll be interesting to see because that could make or break how people would play those kinds of characters in tournament. If they're vastly different, they're going to have to go into a lot of practice for the changes that are made. So I'm, I'm one looking thing that I'm that. I'm interested in because this is a two on two game. Uh, it reminds me of the Tekken Tag Tournament games, and the calling card of the Tekken Tag Tournament games were tandem moves, tandem throws and grabs, and tandem combos. 
I'm wondering if this game, with its various characters from various franchises, will take advantage of this. Whether Ruby characters will have tandem attacks, or or characters from Persona will have tandem attacks, or characters mm-hmm. from Blaze Blue will have tandem attacks. Because with the Arc System's art style being what it is, that could be something incredible. Yeah, absolutely. My other concern is... This is going to be a big thing for overseas fans, uh, considering the fact that they have an American property in this. But there is a surprisingly small, in fact, almost non-existent uh, uh, roster of fan favorite characters from these games and properties. Uh, I'm looking at what we have uh, confirmed so far, and it looks like it's the main characters of Undernight, Persona, and Blaze Blue, plus one notable fan favorite character which is Hazama and uh that that's it that's all we got so I'll be looking forward to seeing how they might uh add more ridiculous DLC into this and then we can return to it after its release on Switch PS4 and PC and giggle some more about whatever ridiculous guest characters they'll bring in then maybe we'll see some Guilty Gear that could be interesting uh, a sprite return for guilty after its massively popular uh exard uh releases who knows everything right now is up in the air but i'm very excited i'm very excited now before we wrap up jack let's all just take a good (laughs) five seconds and glare over at capcom capcom what the fuck what the fuck did you see that story last week where they were actually negotiating with 21st Century Fox for some things? I, the only thing and, I have to say about that is, uh-uh. Uh-uh. It, they, they were actually, Marvel was actually negotiating with 21st Century Fox for some things. but And everyone on the internet was like, okay, you're finally getting the X-Men, right? 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 Yep. And then it came out from a piece on Polygon. It was like, no, we're kind of looking more about Futurama and the streaming business. We're kind of looking at that. Come yeah, on. X-Men, X-Men didn't really cross our minds. Like, oh, my God. At the Marvel. very least, make some, make, make some, you know, high schoolers happy and acquire Deadpool. But no. By the way, actually, another quick... Uh, Another quick news note, um, Steam users, uh, this Thursday, November 17th, uh, hopefully this comes out before then, I have faith in you, David, uh, Deadpool will be retiring from the Steam store. Uh, it's a pretty decent fun game. Uh, I played it on 360. It was a lot of fun. Uh, lots of that kind of humor that you expect from Deadpool and uh, fun gameplay and mercy kills, all that kind of cool stuff. So... I would say if you haven't gotten it, it is majorly on sale. I think it's like 12 bucks. So uh, do yourself a favor and pick that up before it's gone for good. Because uh, you can only eat the chimichanga while it's hot. I am so sorry. I feel dirty saying that. (laughs) Uh, Well, don't be because I don't know what it means. I just, I don't know. He likes chimichangas or something. It's a big meme. Well, chimichangas are delicious. They certainly you should are. go. 
You should have some while you're listening to this episode of the Anime Podcast of some sort. Thank you all so much for listening, everybody. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, in Stitcher, and wherever your podcasts can be aggregated. Yes, if you have one of those smart devices, you can listen to the Anime Podcast of some sort on TuneIn. I tested it with Alexa myself, and it worked because I did it with someone else, and not just me, because it's my podcast. If you have one of those things, you can look for APOS. It's there. I guarantee it. That's awesome. If you can go ahead and give us a like, or the five stars, or whatever positivity you can find, we'd really appreciate it. Get us in front of the ears of a few more people out there that might enjoy this little thing that we like to do called the Anime Podcast of some sort. Jack D, Tyler D, what are you up to and where can we find it? Oh boy, Um, as of now it's a lot of kind of radio silence because I'm drawing some covers for my comic which I would find to be a smashing success, How to Get Ahead in Life, that will be available as soon as I can over to the guy publishing it, and we'll see how that goes. It's a really nice cover. It's going to have like a nice vintage advertising feel of, hey, do you have work to do? Do you have a head? Here's how to get ahead in life. It's not really a, a good a good standpoint on how to do that but you can find all that kind of stuff from, from you can find <laughs> you can find all that kind of cool stuff on my twitter which is jack d tyler d you can also check out my instagram uh it's peacock's birthday from my one another favorite uh fighter of mine fighting games Skullgirls, and i've been doodling some stuff uh all kinds of cool things going on at rock behind the wheel that's where i got the nickname wheels People saw that and went wheels instead of rock. I guess I, I guess I didn't want to get confused with Dwayne Johnson today. And uh, lastly, like I said, I don't feel like I'm really the Tumblr king. I might be like the Tumblr uh, uh, marquee, something like that. I don't know. But if you want to check out stuff there, which is basically just a retread, read, look at uh, stuff from my Instagram, and maybe I can answer some questions for you there. Uh, very rarely check it now, but that is still Dr. Junkenstein, I presume, hyphen it all up in between those. Dr. Hyphen, Junkenstein, hyphen, I hyphen, presume, because I like to make things difficult for you and for me. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about this podcast. There was a lot of think pieces, a lot of talk about some actual anime and some games, and I'm encouraging you, you know, before we wrap up, please, I'd like to hear what you guys had to say, what 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 thoughts you have about this kind of stuff. I would really like to hear that. So please, Jack D, Tyler D, let me know what you think, because, you know, this was was a big episode, I think, for a lot of reasons. And I would this really like to big, hear what you think. This was a big, big episode. Yes. Uh, I won't confuse you with Dwayne Johnson, but I can certainly smell what the Jack is cooking. Thank <laughs> you, Jack. And thank hey. all of you for listening to the anime podcast of some sort and yes let us know what you think this this was quite an episode so i'm at just call me djm jack is at jack d tyler d at us no people normally say don't at me at us at us both at us at us let's do it and thank you for listening <laughs>